I'm excited about it too. We've been negotiating about four months or so with Gander Mountain. And uh, lo and behold, it was owned by, it's owned by an investment group in New York, and we finally got them to say yes. So we are real, real thrilled with it. Of course, Gander Mountain, a great location. I think in some ways it's going to be better than this one. The town is growing that away. It's right on the interstate. The access is quicker. And in case you didn't know this, right across the street from Gander, a, uh, uh, the hospital owns 60 acres, and they're planning on building just right across the street. So we could just open up all avenues for ministry. Uh, we're real thrilled about it. Right now on this property with this building and the powerhouse, we've got 32,000 square feet, and that'll give us 66,000 wow. under roof. So more than twice as big the potential, so it's not just for a short-term thing. It could uh, hopefully meet the needs of the church for a long, long time. And we're real thrilled about it. We're doing feasibility studies for three weeks, which means we're having a professional engineer. Just like if you bought a house, you had a home inspection, we're going to check the building out, make sure that it's going to be adequate and nothing, uh, nothing unforeseen. And we're supposed to close December 27th. So that's just real quick. So uh, by year end... If everything goes well, we'll actually close on, we'll close on the property, and then after that, we'll start work with a design team, architects, and other people, and uh, hopefully about three months to actually get our plans in place, approved by the city, and then it could be, they tell me, about nine months or so till uh, to we actually move in. So it could well be by next Christmas we're in a new facility, so we're praising the Lord for that. I know you have a lot of questions. Next week, after our all three weekend services, we're going to have about a 15-, 20-minute meeting. Going to be telling you everything, all the details, what it costs, how we're paying for it, you know, all the different dynamics about it. So I want you to come because not only do I want to give you information, but I want to get input from you because this is not just something I'm trying to do. I want to make sure that we as a church family feel this is a, a good thing to go forward zone. And let me kind of close with this as those kids are leaving, kind of the why. You know, uh, you can do a lot of things in tight spaces, but there's some things you can't do unless you have more space. Uh, I, Wednesday night I was at the powerhouse and uh, I just sat through their service and these kids, there was about a hundred of them and they'd gotten back from a youth camp. Uh, they had a couple, they get away and I listened to the testimonies of those teenagers and I just, I couldn't, I, I, I was just amazed at kids and what they were saying about the Lord, about reading their Bible, about their family life, about serving the Lord. And then when it came time for an altar call, I, I, oftentimes I'm down there, it's kind of like pulling teeth at an altar call. I'm telling you what, every one of those kids got to their feet. They were down on the altar worshiping the Lord. And that's why, Gander Mountain, that's why it's because the power to impact more people's lives. The building is nothing but a tool. It is a ministry center. And when we reach a lot of kids down there right now, but guess what? We Right now we have 6th and 7th graders with 11th and 12th graders because we don't have more space. And that is just one example about the power to transform lives. Because guess what? If our con God blesses us, our congregation grows larger, not just more comfortable, but larger. We do more missions work. We go on more trips. We start more outreaches. We have more ministry in our city. I mean, that's what church is all about. And we have tons of space to do anything. You know, ours is a church that's very entrepreneurial. If someone comes up to me with a vision for ministry, as long as they're right with God and the church, we say, let's do it, let's get behind it. And uh, ministries have emerged. We own a house that, uh, that houses uh, women off the street, uh, homeless or near homeless with kids. Well, it's because somebody in the church had a vision to start the ministry and we just got behind it. So who knows what ministries might come forth. But I'm real excited and I'm real glad we're doing the journey together. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. 
Uh, turn your Bible, Psalm 43, and I'm uh, running a little late, so you might have to give me an extra minute or two this morning, and I'm going to talk quick. But the series I'm starting now for the next few weeks is called, Why Me? It's that question you ask God when you look in the mirror, and it has a real good side to it. Uh, next week, next time I share with you, we'll talk about the people that surrounded the birth of Christ, and why me was a question of, why am I enjoying the privilege I'm enjoying? Uh, January, we'll talk about significance. We'll talk about the people that God found used in great significant ways, why he chose them. Hopefully, it'll inspire you. But today, I want to look at the negative side of why me, why bad things happen, why trouble happens to people like you and people like me. Psalm 43 says this, You are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? The Message Bible says, I counted on you, God. Why'd you walk out on me? How many can say I felt like that a time or two in my life? Sure. Uh, people go through crises on this earth. Well, why does it happen? Well, we'll talk about several reasons. This morning's message will basically be looking at five different places in the Bible, reading a passage from an overview or historical, kind of like the drone pictures of the building, to look down and see in context why the trouble happened and, more importantly, the response to trouble. Because if I ask the why question, I can end up very quickly with, woe is me. Why me can turn into woe is me, but with the right response, why me can turn into, wow, it's me. So I can either be why me to woe is me or why me to wow it's me. And it depends on my response. So let's explore it together. Uh, we're we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. Uh, uh, as we talk about trouble first, let's first kind of be foundational about the concept of trouble in the earth. There's a reason why trouble is a part of everyone's life. It is because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And tr trouble is common to all of us. Jesus even said this trouble would continue. John 16, Jesus said, I've told you these things, so in me you might have peace. But in the world, Jesus said, you will have, trouble. say it again, trouble. trouble. It's just going to be out there, but take heart, I've overcome the world, implying that we can overcome trouble too. Now, many times we don't know why trouble is a part of our life. But there is a root cause. Uh, in, in our world today, perhaps the, the, an insurance agent, a policy might call it an act of God. If there's a tornado or a violent storm or a hurricane or an earthquake, well, I want to suggest to you that it's not a good God that causes uh, weather patterns that destroy people's lives. I want to suggest to you that there is an evil force in the world. Sin has been loosed in the world, and God oftentimes gets the blame when he shouldn't get the blame, but someone else. And it's very important where you and I place our anger when trouble comes. But let's go back to the start of trouble. Now, if you look at your Bible, if you took the first couple chapters of Genesis and the last couple chapters of Revelation, in Genesis and Revelation, at the end, you see a place where there's no dying, no crying, no sorrow, no heartache. But yet, between the fall of man and the end of the world in the book of Revelation and Judgment Day, trouble defines humanity. Here's where it came from. Genesis chapter 3, you know the story. The Garden of Eden, they ate the forbidden fruit. The key thing is that they disobeyed God. And shortly after that, God said to the woman, in pain, you'll give birth. Sounds like trouble to me. To the man, he said, the ground is cursed 
all your life you're going to struggle to scratch out a living from it. Whether you're a farmer or whether you're sweating in the August sun at Cooper Tires, a 50-year-old making tires, there's a struggle that goes with life. Uh, it gets worse. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go in the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and he killed him. Now listen, friends. Pain, curse, struggle, kill, trouble happens to every human being. Ultimately, because of the sin of Adam and Eve, it was released into the world. And it is as real as the oxygen, unseen oxygen in the air that I breathe. If you're having a baby and all the women said amen, there's pain in childbirth. But sometimes a child dies. A farmer, in the midst of his dreams, has a drought and it's destroyed. People we love die. Jean Lacey and her family are here today. Dr. Sterling Lacey died this week. A dear friend, a minister, a member of our church for a long, long time. But he went to be with Jesus this week. Things happen. It's because of the sin of Adam and Eve. The source of all evil and trouble is spiritual. Sin affects us like salmonella in food. If over Thanksgiving my wife had a couple bags of uh, romaine lettuce and reports started coming out, throw it away because there could be salmonella. Well, I don't care how much dressing you put on it. I don't care how much cheese you put in it. I don't care what you put in that salad. If you ate it, an unseen bug would get you and having no trouble would follow you. But trouble, and I want you to understand this, trouble, whatever the source, has a hidden benefit. You say, how can you say that? Well, the Bible teaches us. James chapter 1, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, was James, uh, maybe he drank the sacramental wine that day. I'm not sure. It's a joke, okay? It's the only one. You missed it. James says, when trouble comes, find great joy because you know that when your faith is tested, and this is what trouble does. My friend Richard was diagnosed with, I think, stage four liver cancer. Trouble came to their family, but he's alive today. My wife had breast cancer. I mean, trouble comes, but James says this, endurance has a chance to grow or patience, so let it grow when your endurance is fully developed. You'll be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In other words, a maturity can come through trouble. Your relationship with God can grow deeper. You can find a connectedness with God. He becomes more than just a God you believe in, but he becomes a God that you know. He becomes the voice that you hear when you, rec when you realize you are at the edge of the, your humanity, that you were created to live and go forwards in life, but limitations and problems keep you on this side of the line. You've got to have a God to take you to the next step, and trouble makes us put our hand in his. If you have money, if you have health, if you have your wealth, you can live as if you don't need God. But you're living under an illusion, friend, because we need him. Now let's go back to Adam and Eve. Through all the midst of trouble, God didn't throw Adam away. If, if you're, I don't know what you do for a living, but let's imagine the, uh, the person that makes pottery for a living. And that, 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 that pot has gotten on, on, the, on the little deal that's spinning around, and they're shaping it, and all of a sudden it, it has a weak spot in it. Uh, they don't like it, so they smush it over and start again. Well, God doesn't smush it over and throw you in the basket. God is merciful in the midst of the trouble in our lives. For Adam and Eve, it says this way, Genesis 3:21. After they're being driven from the garden, Adam and God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. What is this, Pastor? 
redemption story is beginning. These animal skins he didn't get from Walmart or Dillard's. These animal skins came because an animal died. You say, why, Pastor? Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. It is the blood of the animal that made atonement. It paid the price for sin, a temporary price, but God covered them in the midst of their defiance against him. God covered them with his love, and God is a merciful God. I don't care if, if you or I are the source of trouble, if we have rebelled against God and caused heartache and all the stuff in life, God is still a merciful God and wants to give us another chance. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. But another assurance I can bring you from Psalm 46.1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in time of trouble. And I'm telling you, I've learned this. I've been a Christian over 40 years. My life is not perfect. I've had financial pressures. My wife had cancer. I had my own illness I dealt with. My kids were not always perfect. Pressure, people, problems in the church. But in all of that, I've found I can get closer to God. Yeah. I can found just like when that storm is, is, it w was coming the other day. I I've got a dog that sh a weather channel should hire him. <laughs> I was preparing Friday for rain all day long. And didn't get in. He got some in the middle of the night. But I can tell you what, my dog, his name is Tucker. He was a, he's, an, he's a dog pound dog. But old Tucker, so happy to live at our house, 15 minutes before any rainstorm is coming, he is banging at the door. And I tell you, he will not quit because he is terrified of storms. And here's what he's learned. He can weather the storm better inside in the mudroom in his safe little bed than he can outside in the garden. What does he do? He runs to protection. And I'm telling you, friend, you can find this in your heavenly Father. You can find a refuge when life is out of control, when trouble is overwhelming, when you don't know what to do or where to turn or where to go. You can find a strength in your God. Let's keep moving now. Let's get specific on trouble. Some trouble is a direct spiritual attack from Satan. It is direct. It is with you in mind. The Bible said of Satan, Jesus himself said, Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy. Let me read you about a man named Job. We're talking about trouble. Now, Job is sitting in the ash heap, as it were. He's got boils on his skin. If you've ever had a painful boil, they're all over his body. His kids have been killed. His business has been lost. He's bankrupt. He's a man that went from the top of everything to the lowest bottom. And here's what he says in this lowest moment. Why wasn't I born dead? Why didn't I die as I came from my mother's womb? And I died at birth, I'd now be at peace. Twenty times he asked God in the book, why? And my friends, it's a question all of us ask in our times of trouble. Let's, let's go behind the scenes, something we don't know. Two chapters earlier, something happened. All Job knew is when he asked why, he had no clue. Job was a godly man. He's described as righteous and blameless, not perfect. But he was a good godly man and God had blessed him. But something happened behind the scenes that I suggest to you is not just the, the words of mythology. It is not just some uh, uh, literary tool to try to create an impression. No, it literally happened. The Lord said to Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? Then the Bible says Satan is called the prince of the power of the, power of the air. Job's an honest and innocent man. He honors God. He stays away from evil. But Satan answered the Lord, Job honors God for a good reason. And here's what all of us want in life. You've put a wall around him. 
You've protected him, his family, everything he owns. You've blessed the things he's done. But Satan said, if you reach out your hand and destroy everything he has, he'll curse you to your face. And then for some reason I don't fully understand, the Lord granted permission. You see, trouble sometimes is caused by God in response to sin, but many times trouble is allowed. And God didn't cause this trouble, but he allowed it. He said, everything Job has is in your power, but don't touch him himself. In other words, don't kill him. But I give you the permission to go after him. My only explanation I can offer is this. There is a prize called the human race. It is beings, men and women, created in the image of God that were designed to live for all eternity. But God didn't want to have drones or robots to worship Him. God didn't want us to be programmed with artificial intelligence like a machine. He wanted us as someone who was created in His image to freely make a choice to worship Him, to follow Him and serve Him. Not just because He offered a better deal, not just because He takes the bad things away. God would be much less than a prostitute if we only went for Him for good things. But he wants a relationship of love in return. And perhaps this was the test. After the trouble started, it all fell apart. Satan destroyed his business, killed his kids, made him be sick, and his family and friends left him. And what I want you to know clearly and unequivocally, Satan was behind it all. And Job had no clue. He had no Bible. He had no K-love. He had no, quote, Christian friends. And for 20 times he asked God why. But what I want you to know is that there's a happy ending to the story. The battle, scholars believe the book of Job is over a two, three, four-year period. Now, I want you to jump ahead to the end of the book. Job 42, verse 11, after the, tri after the trouble stopped, all his brothers and sisters and former friends came and feasted with him. In verse 12, the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life more than the beginning. Seven more sons, three daughters. He lives 140 years. He lived a long, full life. So here's my question. How did he get from, why me, that could be, woe is me? How did he move from there to, why me, to, wow, it's me? Because when you're blessed is seven times as much, when you've got ten kids, you still remember the past, but there's a blessing. How did he get from there to there? And I want to suggest to you the same way you and I can. Our response and our attitude is what's key. Let me give you one of his responses, one of many. Job 2, verse 9 in the midst of his crisis, his sickness, the death, the grief, his wife said to him, curse God and die. And this, friends, is what I suggest, the spiritual test that faces every one of us in trouble. We want to walk away from God. I walked away from God one time. I was about 22, maybe 23, and, and uh, I had a girl that dumped me. I said, okay, God, I'll get even with you. I won't go to church for two weeks. Well, that's kind of trite. God knew something way better was coming down the road. But you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Disappointment comes. Prayers aren't answered. We wonder, do we want to stay with God or not? And Job said these amazing words as a man in pain. Should we take only good things from God and not trouble? Which is simply a way of saying, am I just going to be happy and praise the Lord when things are good? Or am I still going to love and praise God when I have nothing? Job said, in spite of, uh, Bible says, in spite of all this, Job didn't sin by what he said. So let me give you some help in this. You can come to, I believe, a discernment. Oftentimes in trouble is it spiritual. Because if it's a spiritual attack, I believe it was a spiritual attack that tried to take Linnell out and tried to take me out. Because the Bible says when you strike the shepherd, what happened? Sheep are scattered. 
Not because I'm any better than anyone. Not because somebody better than me couldn't replace me. But simply because what God was and is doing right now, that God could stop the momentum and the work of this local church in Texarkana if he could knock us out. The Bible says in 1 Peter 5, listen to this, your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to punch your neighbor and says it's you. It's you. He, he wants to steal, kill, and destroy you, friend. And then verse 9 says resist him firm in your faith. How, how do you do that? How do you resist Satan in your faith when you can't see him in your prayer time? We had 10 days when she was diagnosed with breast cancer that we were just confused and didn't know what to do. But finally, clarity began to come, peace began to come, and we got our feet back established firm in our faith. And we began to pray and say out loud like this, Satan, you hurt us. You hurt my wife, you take my wife. I'm going to do everything in my power to hurt your kingdom. We're going to send out more missionaries. We're going to send, build more churches. We're going to buy more Bibles. We're going to start more ministry. We're going to help more people that are poor because I realized somebody was fighting against me and I was going to fight back in the place of prayer. You can do that. The Scripture says in Romans, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Well, he's not going to let you do it. You've got to get in there with him. You say, well, Pastor, how do I, how do I hold on to my faith in a trial? I saw the old movie the other day, Tom Hanks. Remember, we're cast away. And he's on an island, and he's trying to get off that island. He builds a raft, and he makes himself a makeshift sail out of a, a, a porta potty, an old porta potty wall. And you remember, he's back going over the reef that had the potential to destroy him uh, with the coral. And he gets close to the edge of the reef, and he releases the sail, and he's, he's going up the wave. There's a rope on the front of the ship, and he wraps it around his hand, and he looks at the soccer ball, and he said, Hold on, Wilson! Hold on to your faith. Let me tell you, the only two ways that I know how to do this, number one, you've got to have a daily time with God. You've got to open your Bible. You've got to pray. You've got to tell God how you feel. You've got to pray through, and you've got to get connected with God. If you and God are this far apart, you've got to get to where that is happening, and you can stand anything. And the second thing I must have in my life when I'm in trouble, I've got to have strong Christian friends that are there to encourage and help me. I've got to have somebody, if I'm walking through something life-threatening, that tells me, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that will fear no evil because God is with us. Listen, I just walk better when you're holding me by the arm that way. I don't need Job's wife telling me, curse God and die. Preaching better than your amening now. Here's something else that will help you keep your faith. Remember what God has done in the past. Psalm 143 says, My enemy has chased me and knocked me to the ground. I'm losing all hope and I'm paralyzed with fear. But listen to what he said. I remember the days of old. I ponder all your great works. I think about what you have done. And I promise you, there's a difference between faith and feelings. Feelings are in the now. Feelings uh, uh, aggravate and accentuate the negative. But when you begin to remember how God has delivered you before, given you money before, let you get healed before, let your kids straighten out before, it's going to bring you faith to do it again. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand. Let me give you another one. Judges 16, trouble can be a consequence of our bad choices. But yet trouble can be a means of God's discipline to get us back on track. Judges 16, you know the story, a man named Samson, he's a judge, but he's not a particularly righteous man. He goes to the Philistine town of Gaza and spent the night with a prostitute. Not good. 
after he left her, verse 4, he falls in love with a woman named Delilah. He just, had it, he just couldn't get his eyes off the wrong women. You know the story. Delilah was not someone that truly loved him. Samson was anointed by God. He was a Nazarite, which means he'd taken a vow, a vow at birth. His parents began it. He would never cut his hair. That was the secret of his strength, his anointing. He wouldn't drink wine. He wouldn't uh, be around things that are dead. He just had boundaries to live in. Well, he ignored the boundaries. He told Delilah about cutting off his hair, and this woman did it for money. Shaved off seven locks of his hair. In verse 20, the tragedy is he didn't realize the Lord had left him. All of his life he'd found favor and grace, but now it's over. Notice what it said. The Philistine captured him, and now the trouble begins. They gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in prison like a mule. Gouged out his eyes, chains, prison. If Samson were to look to heaven and said, why did this happen? He knew. He knew that his own sin had opened a door. He knew that his own defiance, his rebellion against God, his refusal to do wrong, a right and choice to do wrong is what caused the consequences in his life. But what I'm going to tell you, friend, these consequences, lost his eyes in prison, they were not caused by God. His action caused it. But hear me in this, God used it to discipline him, to get him back on track. God disciplines us like a parent does a child. I saw a horror over Thanksgiving. My grandson was disciplined for the first time. We got this little high chair, and he's in this high chair. It, it, my, we bought it for my son, so it's got a lot of family history to it, nice little oak high chair. Well, he's, he's sitting in it eating, and he does like this. And, and Linnell, who's Lonnie, no, 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 Henry, we don't do that with food. And Aunt Rebecca, sweet Rebecca that has a way with children, Henry, no, no, no. His daddy takes the chair next to him. What was daddy doing? Keeping the floor clean? He was saving his life. Because if you don't discipline a wayward child, one day it'll be a fight with a gun, one day it'll be alcohol, one day it'll be drugs, one day it'll be white-collar crime, one day it'll be an encounter with the police. It's the parent's number one role is not only to provide but to discipline that child. God as a father does the same thing to us. Hebrews 12, 5 says, If you've forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children, he said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes each one he accepts as a child. God uses all forms of discipline. Again, God doesn't cause it, but he'll use it. I've watched God use financial pressure. That's a big one. I've got, got, watched God use our health. Many things in life God can use it. But anyway, let's go back to Samson. After Samson was disciplined by trouble, he got back on track with God. Chapter 16, verse 28. Now, he's still blinded. Sometimes sin will have consequences that are irrecoverable in this life. But he now is in the temple. They're having a big, you know, pagan celebration. And he's there and they're going to mock him. But the Bible says, then. That 
word then, after the discipline, then Samson prayed. The discipline got him back on track. He said, remember me again. Oh, God, please strengthen me just one more time. And Samson put out his hands on the two center pillars. and The temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all their people. If sin has caused our trouble, repent and turn back to God. I'm telling you, friends, there's, in this life, I don't know that there's anything you can do that God can't restore and heal. I don't care what you have done in your life, how bad you feel you are and how bad you have done. Friend, listen, God can pick up and, and reuse a Samson. He can pick up and reuse us. Uh, listen, don't let the devil lie to you because what the devil does is he tempts you to get you into sin and then he lies to you to tell you you can never get out of it. And he'll tell you you can't be forgiven. He'll use condemnation all over you. Listen, just shake it off. You do what Scripture says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. You look at that cross and receive that, forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You receive the forgiveness of God and you make the choice to turn away from Delilah and go back to God. And I'll tell you, friend, good things will follow you down. They'll track you down. Look, close with this, Psalm 119. The psalmist said, I used to wander off from God until you disciplined me, but now... I closely follow your word. Come on, God's discipline is good. It's painful, but it's good. Give him a good, a good hand. Now, let me share this one. 1 Samuel 1, it's probably the most intriguing of all. Uh, in no way do I suggest what I'm sharing today is comprehensive of all trouble sources. I thought yesterday as I was praying that if I had time, I would have talked to you about the friends on Job's ship. Not Job, but to Jonah's ship. Jonah is running away from God in rebellion and they run into a storm and all his shipmates had absolutely nothing to do with it but they were there because Jonah was there. And if you're in a partnership, a covenant relationship, a friendship, a marriage, if your partner's going a little haywire or your friends are going haywire, you're going to be following after them. You're just on the boat with them. But the bottom line, trouble comes from a lot of places but look at this one that I find very intriguing. God will use trouble to get us to do what he needs us to do. Now, when, I want you to think this. Am I living my Christian life to be as carefree and trouble-free and God bless me as much as possible? Is that what I want? Or is there an aspiration I have that my life would find significance? That God didn't just create me to have fun, but God created me for a purpose on the earth. God created me to be able to do something, to partner with him and others to advance his kingdom. Well, I suggest the latter is true, particularly for the Christian. The mature Christian sees it. But sometimes it takes a little trouble to get us to say yes. Now, in 1 Samuel, it's a troubling time for Israel. We've just left the book of Judges. The end of the book of Judges, the Bible said every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But God had a plan. God always has a plan. God is, God is the most greatest strategic planner that the world has ever known. And God's plan was to get Israel out of the mess of judges into the good times under King David uh, that God would need a godly prophet that would be anointed to turn the nation back to him. Well, God knew that this little man would one day be named Samuel. The only problem is this boy, hadn't, Samuel, hadn't been born yet, and then God was going to have to get his mother's permission. Because Samuel wouldn't become a prophet after he graduated from Bible college. Samuel would become a prophet when he was a young boy. And he would go and grow up in the temple. Now, what mother wants to have a child and then give that child away? 
I wanted to give mine away a couple times, but it was usually when they were older. I'm talking about when they're little and cuddly and kissing you all the time. Let's think about it. 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah had no children. And then say this with me. The Lord had closed her womb. If you're a woman that's wanted to have a baby and couldn't, you know the pain. I have seen women over time. And all I could do is empathize. There was an emptiness there. There was something missing. She was created to have a child. She was created to hold a child on her breast. She couldn't have a baby. And the Lord did this. One side of our brain would say, God sure is mean. God's not mean. God wants to use, though, some difficulty to get us to partner with him. Well, she gets up, and she didn't turn her back on God, but she goes up to the house of the Lord every year, and she weeps and doesn't eat. This girl is hurting because of trouble. In verse 11, the pivotal point, she vowed a vow. She made a promise to God, and she said the strangest thing. Lord, if you will look on the affliction of your servant, and if you'll give me a son, I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life. Now, why did she say that? Why didn't she say, try to bribe God? God, if you'll let me have a baby, we'll bring a hundred sheep next year as a gift. God, if you'll let me have a baby, I'll, teach the, I'll work in the nursery every other Sunday. God, if you'll have a baby, I'll, what, uh, we make bargains with God. Why did she choose this? We're going to come back to that. The Bible says, verse 20, after she made this vow, a barren person's now going to have a baby. In due time, God's timing, verse 20, Hannah conceived and she called the boy's name Samuel. For this child I prayed and the Lord granted my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I'm lending him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he's lent to the Lord. And you would think, well, what sadness this woman would have. She served God, she sacrificed, and now there's just pain. Not true, friends. Verse 21 said, the Lord repaid Hannah. He visited her, she conceives, and bears three sons and two daughters. And Samuel grows up in the presence of the Lord. She's got all the diapers she can handle at home. But I wonder what Hannah felt when she asked God, why me? I want to have a baby and I can't. But something happened, friend. She went from why me, woe is me, to why me, wow, it's me. When she's sitting around the dinner table one day and she's got all her little Hannahites and they're around the table and she's just looking one day or she puts them all in bed and maybe when, I don't know how big the bed was, but let's imagine they had a king bed and all five of those little Hannahites are in the bed. Daddy's falling off one side, mama's falling off on the other. But after they fell off the bed in the middle of the night, they looked on bed and said, I sure am a blessed person. How do you get from crying as a barren woman They've been so happy you got five babies. God wants you to do something and you say yes. I want to suggest that this vow is at the center of who she was. I want to suggest that the same God that spoke to Hannah speaks to you and me. I know when God wants me to do something in life, I just have a feeling about it. And sometimes I'm really excited and sometimes I don't want to do it. Uh, I mentioned several weeks ago, we were real close, about a year and, year and a quarter away of paying our house off. And I felt the Lord speak to me. Now, I'm the stingier one in the Miller household. My wife is the more generous one. Now, now we give and I give, 
But my nature is not to be generous. And I just felt the Lord tell me, as soon as you pay your house off, take the first mortgage payment and give it to me as a first fruits. Well, why? I just knew it was God. And I'm not trying to brag or say, look at me or anything. I'm just telling you, there are times when you just know that it's God. I came to this church almost 30 years ago. I was driving from Tyler, Texas to preach here, had not preached here, had not seen a financial statement, nothing. But I heard the Holy Spirit tell me when I crossed the second bridge on Highway 155, there were cypress trees around there and I saw water, and the Lord said, I want you to go to this church. You just you, There's a knowing that comes in our life as Christians. Well, maybe God is asking you, maybe you're a barren Hannah, and God is asking you to do something, friend. When you say yes to God, what was trouble can turn into a great blessing. Come on, somebody, say praise the Lord. Let me wrap up with this one. No matter what trouble we face as our worship team comes, faith in God will see us through. And what I want to do is I just want to read the words of the psalmist. When my life is very emotional, when I'm hurting, when I'm struggling, when I'm confused, I read the psalms. Because David expresses these emotions. Listen to what he said, verse 5. Why am I so sad? Why am I so upset? Say this with me. I should put my hope in God and keep praising Him. I'm sad, I'm upset. Hope in God and praise Him. My Savior and my God, but He can't get away from it. I'm very sad. And then He tells you something else to do. I remember you where the Jordan River begins, near the peaks of Hermon and Mount Mizar. What does that mean? He looked back in Israel's history, and he looked at the miracle God did at the Jordan River. He looked at the miracle that God did in the city of Jericho. He looked at this whole land that God had given to the Israelites, and he said, if God did it before, if God did it for them, he can do it for me. I'm going to tell you, there's power in you looking back to God's acts of the past. He doesn't stop there. Verse 7, troubles have come again and again. But the Lord shows his true love every day. I'm telling you this from 40 years of experience as a Christian. No matter how bad it is, you can find moments of your day with God when you step into a secret place. You can be like Tucker and you can run out of the storm and you can find your secret place, your bed. My kids, when they were little in a storm, lightning would come and thunder. We just knew that sometime during the night they're coming to get in our bed because they're scared. And I loved it. And they'd jump in our bed at night and then it would be all, you could just feel that little child just go, I'm telling you there's moments like that you can find with a real God. And then he said this, at night, and this is when we're plagued the worst, at night I have a song to sing. And it's not your favorite rock and roll or country song. It's a God song. And I'm praying to my living God and in his prayers, he said, God, why have you forgotten me? Why am I sad and troubled? My enemies are making me feel as if my bones were broken. And they're saying, where's your God? God, why am I sad? Why am I upset? And then he comes back to this. I put my hope in God and keep praising him. Let me say it again. I put my hope in God and keep praising him. I put my hope in God and I keep praising him. And I'll tell you, friends, he's not going to let you down. He's the God who's always there. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of all our praise. Why don't you stand to your feet, and we're, just, we're, we're going to close the service this morning. Here's how we close. I ask you to give me just a couple minutes. 
after the sermon's over where you might allow the Holy Spirit to do something in you. Because in most of the message you engaged in your mind, I'm asking God to just drop something deep into the foundation of your heart and soul now. They're going to have a closing song. We're going to have people here to pray for you if you need prayer. But I want you to just bow your head just a moment. And I want you to do what only you can do, what no one can do for you. I want you to ask the Lord. Say, okay, Lord, now what? There's a lot of people here that are in trouble. And you're in a spiritual battle. And I want you to do this. I want you to look, take your right foot, and I just want you to twist it just like you've stepped on a spider in your home, and you're mashing that thing. The Scriptures in Romans 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. I want you to receive hope from the Lord. Be twisting that foot if you're in trouble. God is going to help me. God is going to stop the devourer. God is going to stop the one that came to steal, kill, and destroy. He, he does not win over me. He does not control me. My God controls him. There's others that are here today that when I talked about Samson and the Holy Spirit's convicted you that your sin has opened a door. Well, friend, you close it right now. You just in your own heart and mind, just quietly before the Lord, say, Lord, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Forgive me. I, I, I repent from Delilah or whatever that was. I repent. And Lord, today I'm setting my heart right now. I'm going to just receive. Just receive from the Lord right now his cleansing. See, Satan wants to condemn you. Satan wants to tell you you, you knew better. Satan wants to tell you, shame on you. You were a Christian. Uh, Christians don't do that. That's the devil's lies. Just receive the grace of God right now. Receive his washing, his cleansing. The Bible says, though our sins are scarlet, God makes them white as snow. And this third one, Hannah, maybe troubles in your world, maybe there's some discomfort because God is asking you to do something. He's asking you to make a step and you're fighting him. I'm telling you, friend, don't fight God, you'll never win. Just symbolically now, if you'd close your fists and just open them and say, Lord, I want to say yes. I don't want to fight you. I'm in partnership with you. Help me now. I want everybody to just slip their hands to heaven and let's, let's ask what they asked in the Bible that God would fill them all afresh with His Holy Spirit. Because sometimes trouble is hard. Sometimes trouble is overbearing. Sometimes trouble lasts a long time. And we need grace. It's not just willpower. We need some God power. So I want you to just pray and ask God, God, give me the strength I need. God, give me the peace I need in the midst of the storm. God, give me sweet sleep at night. I'm tired of tossing and turning. God, I, I receive your grace. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Welcome. We're going to close now with our song. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come to the front for individual prayer if you need to talk to someone. But one thing I would say in particular, if you were really convicted in your heart that the source of your trouble is spiritual and you're under attack, whether it's your outside physical world or in your mind. Mental torment was horrible for me for about two years when I was battling. But if it's a spiritual attack in your life, I want you to encourage, let somebody lay their hands on you and anoint you with oil and pray that your faith would be strengthened. Because this is what all of us need.
is we need to have strong faith in the midst of troubles. But we'd also like, we'll pray for anything, by the way, but there is a special prayer we'd like to pray if you're here today and say, Pastor, I, I need to get my life right with God. Just being in this church building today, I'm just honest, I've sensed the presence of the Lord and I just feel like God's calling me. Can I tell you, friend, you'll never be happy in life until you've surrendered your life to Christ. You'll never be happy in life. I've been on both sides. You'll never be happy until you've not just let Jesus in the back seat of your life, but let him behind the steering wheel. It takes an invitation to surrender your life to Christ. Maybe you're here today and you found in life that just having more stuff and getting more degrees and more relationships and more beer or whatever, that that's not going to make you happy. You'll never be happy until you have found a personal relationship with God. Maybe you're here today and the weight of your sin weighs heavy on you. Can I tell you, friend, you can release it at the cross and receive God's forgiveness. Maybe you're here and when we talked about death, it frightens you. Can I tell you, friend, the Bible says death is the last enemy, but Jesus wants to hold your hand, if I could say that figuratively, as you walk through that valley. He did his all on the cross. He's offered salvation to all who receive it. I'm not inviting you to join the church today, but I am offering you an opportunity to pray with another person. Pastor Travis would be over at the cross and pray with you as you commit your life to Christ. If you're here, if you've gotten away from God, and today is the day to come back, let us pray for you. Go ahead and begin our last song right now. Pastor Zach, as he plays, our prayer team is going to come to the front right now. They're going to make their way here. They'll be here to pray with you about anything you need prayer for. But most importantly, if you need to get right with God, don't miss this opportunity. We'll see you at the cross. I love you. Thanks for coming. Lord willing, I'll see you next week.